Hello, y'all. How y'all doing? Welcome back to another episode of Underrated and Overlooked Podcast. Hope everybody's having a great start to their week. Um, Craig is back from vacay. Glad to have him back. A lot to discuss today. I think this will be a very fiery show. Um, obviously, a little bit of controversy out there with some takes and stuff like that. So it'll be really, really interesting. But we're going to get into some high school news, some um, major workings. Um, Kaden Williams just committed, so we'll be reacting to that. Um, also, uh, we got news about Christian Langford. I think that's big. Um, heard it happen a little while ago, um, but I just found out. So I think that's big news. We got to cover today for sure. Um, major guys going to different camps. Got to definitely talk about that. And then um, obviously we'll begin to the uh, national championship game for the women's and the men's, uh, breaking down that action. And then um, we'll obviously conclude with um, you know, some Braves news. They got a big series coming up this weekend against the Padres. And then obviously um, just a little bit of basketball news. And that's it. But Without further ado, the biggest thing that stops me, I, I think we should talk about it first, yep. is Christian Lankford, right? Um, him going to Buford, which, you know, I think there was question marks at the quarterback position. Um, we all know they were upset at last year, but, I mean, then they end up losing uh, King Joseph Edwards, but they got Khalil Bowden, who's still going to be there. They get the two guys that transferred over, uh, the big 6'7", six, 6'8", six, guys uh, for the offensive line. So, just how good do you think going to be? And I think that was their kind of missing piece, was landing a really good quarterback. Um, and Christian Lankford, I think he's going to take the next step next year. Yes, it was. The move says a lot because last year was Christian Lankford's first ever time playing. He was only a sophomore, freshman year. I think he took maybe two touches. Comes in and plays a significant role. Uh, had a six-touchdown game early in the season, five touchdowns. You look at his overall numbers, he had some big games, some big wins, played tough teams, Carrollton, Camden in the playoffs, Westlake. Uh, really uh, competitive seven-day schedule. As a sophomore, held his own. He did have a lot of talent at the receiver position, but a lot of those guys were also new to the scene. You go to a place like Buford, that's obviously well-established. You're going to have the stable of running backs around you. And then I think with him, Christian Langford's athleticism could really blossom and take off. He wasn't asked to do that much, but he did have 74-yard touchdown run early in the season. He actually caught a touchdown pass in the win over Lowndes. He's a he's a great athlete. I think just last year, his first taste of varsity experience and making that move to Buford where you're probably going to have some potential competition uh, at that quarterback spot. We'll see where he lands in that sense uh, next year or if he's going to be that guy in two seasons. He'll obviously make a, a big role, but I think him going to Buford it is significant, and as you mentioned with all their other transfers, uh, they were not happy that they got knocked out in the playoffs last year. That Early. is a rare sign. First time since 2001 they didn't make it uh, to the semifinals. So uh, they're definitely loading up, looking to make a run. No, I agree. I mean, as you said, that's going to be really interesting. Who's going to be their quarterback as far as, you know, Chris Lighter's coming in, probably going to be in competition. He started as a sophomore for East Colorado last year, so I think that's going to be intriguing to see who comes out of the pack, who's going to be the quarterback. I think that's going to be a really important position for them next year uh, coming into the season because, as you said, they always have that staple of running backs. Um, they always have a really good defense. Edric Houston is nothing to sleaze at. That guy's really good, top recruit. So it'll be interesting to see who's going to be the starter one. And they got some big games coming up um, this season as well, some national games um, that we'll talk about another time. But things will be interesting to see. But also we had another news. I'm going to share this screen with you guys so you guys can see it. Um, he played in our Georgia League Classic event. Caden uh, Williams uh, committed to Liberty. Um, 
Really good player. He was uh, Georgia the Classic MVP, um, 2024 class. I believe he's a three-star. Um, just what do you think about the move uh, for him and then uh, committing early and kind of getting that process, you know, kind of behind him and being able to focus on the season? Versatile guy. Calhoun produces a ton of really tough kids. Almost everyone on their team's a dual-sport athlete. He plays both sides of the ball. You mentioned his MVP performance. I think Calhoun is – been one of the the better programs uh, they play in an incredible region he's coming in college ready I think Liberty's a good fit that guy wants to go to the next level play a big big conference football power five and we'll see I mean I like the early commits heading into the season uh, kind of takes that pressure off and then he can just focus on getting stronger getting bigger and obviously Calhoun has a chance this year yeah, certainly do. They'll be right there in the tick of the race in the 5-8. So, yeah, getting it out the way early so you can focus on the season, I think, you know, is always a good thing. So, obviously, we'll be watching out for him. Uh, that's the major news. But the bombshell, I think, is what we revealed last week. And uh, you actually wrote this article, Craig, and I think it's really incredible. And I think this is going to change the whole thing and change the whole high school landscape. So, um, this is pretty incredible. We're going to actually share this with you guys as well. Uh, definitely want you guys to see this. Um Give me one second to find it. All right, Craig. So, I mean, we announced the first ever um, media day for Georgia High School football. I, first off, I love the logo. I think the yeah. logo is incredible. It uh, kind of symbolizes Georgia football. Um, I like the peach color as well. Um, but I'm just super excited. I mean, I've heard, you know, Grandma already said, our GM said, you know, over 10, 15 schools that they weren't expecting to come I've already called him to come to the event and as I've been saying I think it's I think it's huge just from a recruiting perspective because the recruiting analyst there uh Wesley Mansell is going to be there um and I think it's big too for kids that necessarily may be kind of underlooked and over I mean overlooked and underrated kind of getting that chance to put us on the radar or or put different people on the radar recruiting analysts and then give themselves a shot if they can't make D1 going D2 D3 or NAI, or even if they don't want to play after. We've seen some athletes not want to play high school football after, but um, be able to go into a trade that makes them $18 an hour right now. So what are your thoughts on that really big announcement? It's going to have a huge impact. Uh, first of all, early in a football season, you mentioned all the guys that are under the radar. It's so important for these coaches to to talk to the media about their team, just give us a general sense, and then if you're kind of caught up with what the team's going to look like, who the big players are week one, week two, then that hype, that attention can start building. Guys will hit the radar. Um, when you have potentially 100 teams participating in this, it's huge. We talked about all the transfers. This allows the coaches to set the record straight. I like that we're also going to be bringing the offensive and defensive coordinator. Let's kind of find out what style of play they're going to run. We rely in the high school realm so much on kind of a collective coverage out uh, effort. Yep. Uh, the the great job they do down in Savannah, the Gwinnett Daily Post does a great job. This is an opportunity for everyone to come, obviously cover their area schools, but let's just be honest, these schedules, the non-region one, it's a lot of crossover. Yep. Teams are playing the North, South, Georgia powerhouses early on. Uh, it's just it's going to help us kind of get that understanding with some of these teams. And I also think it's good training for the, 
for the athletes that might not have gotten to talk to the media yet. I mean, just learning how to communicate, talk to your, talk about the team, talk about what you've been doing in the off season. It's good practice for guys that are going to go on and represent themselves throughout the season. No, I agree. And my bad, guys. What do you What do you think of also, Craig? You know, your component of it being one of the analysts there and being one of the commentators that's going to be interviewing some of these players and these seniors coming up. Um, how excited are you to, to, you know, be playing that role as well? Yeah, it'll be fun. So 92-9 the game, they're going to have their regularly scheduled broadcasting for all their normal uh, daytime shows, but they're going to be live from the event. They'll do player interviews. And then there's going to be five stages uh, set up at once. Each team gets 45 minutes. That's a lot of time to talk to them. Um, I'll be one of the guys handling the interviews. Najee will, obviously. And not only is it going to be just a good opportunity to learn, it's exactly what I said. It's so helpful to us to talk to the coaches, talk to the players before the season starts, and then once the season, you can go back and listen to what they said, see if they're hitting their goals or not, see if they're overachieving. And you can really get the general sense of, what a team's mindset is. You talked to Coach Bruner last year before the yeah. Buford game, and based off the conversation, me. it convinced you. And so yeah. I think we're going to see it. And it's also helpful, just all these coaching changes. But it's a it's a big event. No other state is going to be doing it. Um, yeah, real quick, not to interrupt you, but, yeah, talk about that point. I wanted to ask you, too, because you've been in the game so long, a decade plus. Is there any other state that does a high school media? Obviously, you have Grace and Media Days and some of the schools yeah. that do it, but – to this extent, is there another state that you can think of that does it as well? No, not at all. And let's look at who are the biggest competitors to Georgia high school football in this conversation. Texas, California, Florida. Those states are way bigger, not just in population size, geographically. Atlanta, yeah, it might be a, a four-hour drive or whatever, but you look at the setting of this and then the timing. It's a week after SEC Media Day. It's during the acclimation period, so teams aren't even allowed to practice for two hours or more. It's also going to be kind of in between once they have started that two-a-day, the dog days of summer. It's less than a month from the season, actually probably just like three weeks. And then how do you accommodate 90, 100 teams? (laughs) Well, that venue, people would say, of course, it's in Atlanta. Well, yeah, true. Right. It's not going to be a 10-minute, 30-minute drive for every team, but that's the old Turner Field, Georgia State Stadium, Center Park Stadium, the new Georgia State Basketball Arena. There's enough parking to make this happen, and then we'll be able to broadcast it live. So we've had Gwinnett Media Day, uh, Forsyth Media Days, but this is just an effort for everyone to come together. It's about Georgia high school football right before the season. Let's get people excited and just show what the season's going to look like. Yeah, I, I can tell you for one, I'm excited to be a part of this. I'm definitely excited to be one of the talents that will be interviewing some of the players. I'm excited to learn about some of the players I may not know of. Um, I think it's going to be a incredible event. I think next year you're going to probably even see us expand even more. I mean, obviously this is kind of a test run for it. Um, obviously this is the first year of it, but I think next year you're going to see three to four uh, probably days of this. And I think that's incredible because you're allowing the kids, you know, almost a platform where, you know, you can learn more about them, um, find out more about their team and what to watch out for for this season. And then, as I said, me and you having our podcast uh, streaming all week long, I think that's going to be incredible content to talk about and, you know, and things like that. So I'm I'm super excited, and I think it's big time. I think 
um, Georgia football is, is heading in the, in the right space. And we obviously both talked about the ramifications and the implications of having the official reviews and instant replay yeah. at Corker Kill Classic, which we'll also be at. That's huge. Yeah. So that goes to show you how plugged and connected you know, we are, obviously, with Scoreland and the brand, and obviously in Georgia high school football. So, man, I'm excited. I think it's going to be an incredible event, and I think it's going to be something we're going to see for years to come. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think there will be a lot of coverage with it. Um, we're asking teams to bring all their seniors, then the underclassmen that are going to contribute. Um, I think it'll be a nice uh, break from practice, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, getting yeah. to come up there and getting the spotlight. I'm interested. I think the players will probably all either wear a, a uniform. I mean, this will be broadcasted. It will be televised. So it's a it's just a good opportunity to get those 45 minutes to yeah. really send a message on what you guys have been doing this off season, what the goals are, and uh, I, th- I think it will be great. The goal is, I think, in the future to even make it more than one day, okay. and that will be even more convenient. But this first time, it's got to be one big day. Uh, <laughs> Nine to five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll be busy. Yep, nonstop. <laughs> nonstop. But – uh, we're going to leave it there, guys. We're going to transfer it to our next segment. But I do want to answer a question I thought was really important. We're going to answer your other two later in the show. But um, I thought this one was interesting. Why does Northeast struggle producing college football talent in comparison with the South? Um, I don't know. That's such a good question. And then when you when you say that, do you mean like from the high school level? Um, or do you mean just getting the talent um, for college? Because I would say I think down South there's more – I'm trying to think of the word to say. I think there's more of a platform, per se, for, like, down south. I think it's more, like, got more television. I don't really hear a lot of events up north being televised where players can kind of get that notice and that kind of exposure, for one. And I think, two, just the how how it goes, right? So it's almost year-round. So, right, you got football that starts, right, in August, goes all the way to December. You got players still working out. Their off-season programs start like early February, maybe um, late um, late February, early March. They're already doing their off-season workouts in their programs. And then from there, they're getting their spring games together, right? They have their spring game, obviously, in May. And then from there, they're competing in the summer, right? They're competing in the summer. And then, you know, from there, you know, they're doing 707 tournaments, right? So they're constantly getting their body ready for the season. They're constantly in shape. Um, and then, you know, I would say, too, like the camps, right? There's more – Georgia's been more known now. Or I would, well, I'll just speak from Georgia. I won't say all of the South. But Georgia's more so now known as a football state, right? It's still a basketball state. I mean, some great basketball players as well. But from a football perspective, um, you know, you got more recruiting down here. You got guys coming down here to see. You got, you've been having some of the top recruits recently, quarterback position, Trevor Lawrence of the world, Justin Fields. And – you know, them going to bigger major schools. So I think that component of it, I think more exposure is the reason why. And I think just constantly playing the game and constantly, you know, being in shape, I think helps. And obviously the camps as well. 100%. I think down here it does consume a lot more time. It's a bigger deal. But the other factor, Georgia pays its coaches more than these other states. It's based off um, – the pension you get from retirement. And so this entire coaching carousel, the state of Georgia is probably the top landing spot. There's more six-figure head coaching job, offensive defensive coordinator jobs in Georgia than other states. So we'll take even a lot of these coaches. They'll win a couple state championships in Kentucky, come to Georgia just a few seasons, and then by coming to Georgia, that's going to register into – the highest salary you get for your pension. So that adds even more pressure to come in as a coach to 
really put your players to work. Uh, and I mean, we see some of the top programs, if you get knocked out in the quarterfinals, uh, you're gone as the head coach. <laughs> they have no patience for that. None. So, and that's because if you're one of these schools, your your head coach is making a hundred sixty thousand dollar salary. Um, you want to win then and now. And so we have, I think it's twenty eight city schools. Those are the highest paying, but Georgia does pay more than other states. I think that is a big factor. And then to your point about the basketball point, because uh, you say you notice they produce really good basketball talent, maybe compared to football. The difference with the basketball is, excuse me, is that they're, it's the same thing with football. They're playing it year round, right? So obviously the season starts November, goes all the way to March where they have the state championships, and then that's it, right? Then from there, the kids are going right back into it maybe a week or two after, and they're playing travel ball. They're playing AAU. They're playing uh, for another team. And then that goes all the way into, you know, the summer, all the way to August. You know, probably their season in, and then they might get a you know a couple weeks break, and then they're getting ready for the, the you know the state the uh, high school football high school basketball season. Excuse me. So, I think that's another reason, and then exposure to the camps, and then a lot of things too. To be honest with you, um, they play national schedules. Like Willard just played a national schedule, right? They were playing um, Columbus, right? They were playing DeSoto. They were playing Duncanville, um, um, and things like that, right? So. When you play that national schedule, you're getting your kids exposure for one, and then two, you're going you're going against the creme de la creme, right? You're seeing, you know, who's going to be on the forefront of who you have to play, and then your kids are playing the top tier talent, and that's only going to get them better, right? So that's one thing. Also, I can say too, the scheduling I think is very important as well, and definitely helps out the talent and the players because they keep getting better and better by playing some of the best people, and they're not afraid to schedule um, out of state opponents and really good out of state opponents of that, and like. Losing by 10 or 15 points in basketball or losing by a couple touchdowns in football, learning from that and then learning how to structure the program and get better. So I think that's also another standpoint as well. The only problem in Georgia, if I have to be honest, is the exposure for basketball. I don't think, and when I say that, I don't think we televise it enough, right? Primetime matchups, you know, are not on TV. Like this year, just for an example, Willard versus McEachern. That was, what, Elite Eight game. That should have been televised, right? That should have been in a neutral site, in my opinion. You got some of the top recruits in the nation playing in that game, right? The Norcross versus um, Newton game, same thing. Some of the top recruits in the nation. That should be a televised game. So that's the only standpoint I say what Georgia has to get better at with basketball is the more exposure. 100%. And it's crazy. I mean, we get done with the football season. Uh, even by the time Georgia elites over, mm-hmm. now it's January. Basketball season started in mid-November and the next thing you know it's like a month and a half then it's the playoffs then it's the playoffs and the season's over and so we don't get that head start that we get in other sports it's kind of jumping on everyone's focused on covering the fall sports and Mm -hmm. then it's just we're a little late to the party yeah I agree but I think we would catch up even if we kept you know our, our formula we have now I think just um, in January, catching up majorly and then kind of shifting the focus more to it. And then, like you said, just not every game because basketball has games Tuesday, Thursdays, Wednesdays, Friday, Saturdays, but getting a couple, like, tournaments, I think, and televising those with some of the major teams in the state. Yep. <clears throat> a lot of the media is, I guess, spread a little thin uh, during the time when the basketball season starts. So they're obviously focusing on covering football, the fall sports, and then it is a, a little late. So it's hard to get really that – expert analysis on who were the best players and then getting that out to to people so they know who to watch for um but there are people that obviously do that and do an incredible incredible job kyle sandy in particular oh he does a phenomenal job i think he has camps right now 
Oh, he's yeah. actually getting married too, I think. Yep. Yeah. I saw that three days ago, so congrats to him. But yeah, he's one of the few guys where he's he's covering the basketball offseason before it starts. And so that's what you would need more of to get the exposure where it needs to be. Instead of just kind of jumping in mid season. Exactly. But we're gonna leave it there. Appreciate the other person tuning into our stream. Uh we're gonna keep it going. Uh lots to talk about as far as the basketball tip, uh NCAA. So we're gonna get into that right this second. Craig, I want to know, what do you think? I mean, this is a two-sided question for you. Do you think UConn, do you consider them a blue button now after them winning? And then, if yes, I want you to spend on that. And then, you know, do you think it was good that this year's national champion wasn't necessarily a blue blood? So it's kind of a double-sided. What do you think? Well, they were definitely the blue blood compared to the rest of the Final Four field. <laughs> uh, I think they have some good recruits coming in, and this is only going to help strengthen that prestige around them and so that's a good sign for them uh, Stefan Castle all mm. those guys and Can't so wait to see him play. yeah you win a national championship that's a destination spot now I just thought they looked so great during the entire tournament they really um I mean defensively they shut down teams the first game I tuned in was that St. Mary's one mm-hmm. St. Mary's came out made some shots they weren't rattled at all they just seemed to have a even keel uh, run the entire tournament and just handled business and made it look easy, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, I think UConn's trending in that category. I mean, what's so cool about them is that every year they win it, they are not an AP Top 25 team, which is insane. And then they go and win it. And you may be like, oh, well, they not. They may not have the best talent or the the blue blood talent, but they make it work. They play as a team, right? Uh, Adonami Sonogo, like, he played great all tournament long. Tristan Newton coming up big in his senior season. Um, in the tournament uh, was huge for them. Uh, but you go to the other teams, having the Shabazz Napiers, having the Kimball Walkers of the world, Jeremy Lambs, stepping up big in those big-time moments. Um, Alex Oriaki, those, those players. And I love what it is as a program. And, you know, obviously it was crazy. I looked at the standings, too. They were the fourth or fifth-best team in their conference, 13-7, and seven, and they won it all, which is insane. You yeah, four in other dominating teams, fashion. In too. dominating fashion. Like, they won all the games by double digits. But... Um, I thought that stood out to me, obviously. Uh, I want to give San Diego State credit. Um, I think they, like, they didn't score a bucket for like 11 minutes, which was tough. And that just goes to show you how good UConn's defense was. Like They held them to 32% shooting overall and then 26% shooting, 26% shooting from three-point range. So their defense was good all year. And then when they were able to get back in the game, I felt like they ran out of gas. And I felt like they got away from what got them back in the game. Getting the ball to Ladee, getting the ball to Keyshawn Johnson in the paint which was causing, causing UConn a little bit of trouble. Um, they went away from that. They started shooting threes and things like that. That's not really their game, right? Um, so I think that was really tough for them. Um, but I thought overall, man, I mean, it, it, you know, it was a good game. Great tournament from UConn. Um, and also got a, I got another point to make, too. So Adame Sonogo, he was a force all-tournament, long-tournament's most outstanding player. He ended his um, campaign with a 17-point, 10-rebound, triple-double. He was a force. An interesting tidbit is that for him, and his other teammates, Hassan, Diariah, Samson, Johnson, they all observe Ramadan because Adam, Sonog- Adam Sonoga is a Muslim. Um, so, therefore, they abstain from eating or drinking from sunup to sundown throughout the tournament. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, my buddy, Akbar Kadar, he was my basketball teammate, and the same thing. So, 
I didn't realize that until high school, and he told me about it. And then, yeah, you see some guys do it in college, in the NBA. Yeah. It's really impressive. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, I could not do that, that. That is tough. That is, that is some different kind of willpower yeah. and a different kind of mentality to have to be able to do that. But shout-out to them, and shout-out to San Diego State. I mean, an incredible run. Um, just came up a little bit short, and I thought at Lamont Butler, I don't know if you've seen that buzzer yep. beater, that dude, that was that was cold-blooded. Like, yes, less than two seconds and knocking it down to knock FAU out the tournament. Just let's talk about that really quick. What do you thought about that shot? Yeah, so, well, first, one of the things I thought UConn did well the whole tournament is answer. Second, the yeah. team made a shot, kind of got back in it. They just immediately answered. Uh, in that game, though, yeah, they're down by three. They make a shot, get a defensive stop, and then – can't draw up a better look than that I and mean, just got to a spot nice jumper right there and killed it well he said the premier league is recognizing ramadan letting players break fast at mid-game interesting i didn't know that i wonder so they let them do it but the, some of the players probably still don't <laughs> i wouldn't be shocked man yeah. obviously now, that's interesting um good point by you that, yeah no definitely but um, we got a little bit of controversy. We're going to leave the tournament there. Um, I've gotten called to sell out for my take on this. Mm. Um, but we want to react now to um, Andrew Reese's situation. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, um, you know, kind of the, the, the race element of it. Um, I'm going to see if I can pull a clip really quick just to maybe look at it really fast or just yeah, look at the photo. photo. <laughs> yeah, just look at the photo. Let me see. Just find him. I mean, I don't know why we we decided this not to stop sitting the fine thing. I'm not gonna do that one. Yeah, that's I, I a little just, too spicy. Yeah, I just need like a good photo, like them both doing it. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, right here. I think this is a, a, a great one. All right, here. I'm gonna pull this one right up for y'all. Hold on one second, guys. I'm about to share the screen so y'all can see it. Uh, right here. All right, so this is about how most people feel. It was cute when Clinton Clark did it. Uh, y'all didn't have any issues with it at all, so don't be outraged and talking about class and sportsmanship when Andrew Reese does the same thing. So, again, this photo, I think, illustrates it well. She does it right here. Nobody's in the picture. She's doing it to her, you know, imitating, you know, taunting her. I, again, in this scenario, you look at the picture, I have no issue with her doing it at the free throw line. My issue with it came about, and a lot of people didn't agree with me, um, is when she went, and I told Craig this morning, she went and ran down the court, did this, literally, in her face, okay, and did this in her face, right? So that is when I found trouble with it, or found problem or issue with it, right? And it's become a race thing, but as I said, I think in that moment, she did like some sportsmanship, right? I have no problem with you celebrating, right? You could try to talk all day long, that's fine, right? My issue came up when it, when you did it in her face, right? You could have went to the sideline after you won. I mean, obviously, you know you're going to win. And you could have did this to the crowd, the audience, right? Whenever Kaylin Clark celebrated, and you could be like, oh, well, she told, what's your name, and shut up. In the game, when they played Louisville, she was talking mess to her, so she did it back to her. Clayton Clark didn't say nothing to Andrew Reese the whole game, right? So she didn't do it at all to her the whole game. That's one. Number two, when she was upset, this was in games that they didn't even play LSU, right? The South Carolina game, I've been playing basketball for in a championship perspective. And you'd be like, oh, that person can't shoot. They did the scouting report. It was like, nah, I'm not going to guard you. Like, I know you can't shoot that, right? And then the other one was that. So 
again, that's where I found issue with it. I have no problem with you celebrating. I have no problem with you trash talking. Like, this is my, you know what? Aaron Donald has done it in the Super Bowl. Go to any example recently, right? And they don't do it to the player. When Aaron Donald won the Super Bowl and beat my favorite team, the Bengals, he did it to the audience, to the crowd. When Joe Burrow did this in the championship game, did he do it to Trevor Lawrence? Did he do it to the Clemson defense? No. So that was my issue with it. I don't care about a player doing that. I'm all for that. That makes the game fun. That makes the game exciting. Again, my issue was she continued with it afterwards and ran her down and did it in her face. I'll let you tell me, Craig. Yeah, the game was over. Um, The game was over, and you said it turned into a race thing. Of course it did, because then afterwards she said, oh, well, I did it because I was just being black. What does that mean? Like, she's the one that said it. I did it because I was being black. Listen, the fact that people can't understand that the fact that, okay, when did Caitlin Clark do it? I don't know, a game that wasn't viewed millions and millions of times. People didn't even realize that she did it. And so now, everyone's reacting to it happening in the national championship because more people were watching. And then they'll, they'll be like, well, why didn't you say anything when Caitlin Clark did it? To walk over to a player when the game is over and do that, that's obviously going to rub people the wrong way i mean we see people trash talk or whatever but even in that game caitlin clark gets the delay technical foul that's a taunting foul yeah it's a tag a technical foul it's a tag um i thought lsu played amazing i mean they did their their bench stepped up your girls hitting jasmine carson 22 points an unbelievable alexis morris was a mid-range supreme come on and so like even if you you went out there and dropped fifty points, I still just don't see the the point in going uh, that hard and then just afterward just saying, yeah, I did it because I'm black and I'm trying to give people a voice that don't have a voice. It's like I just I don't I don't get that. It seemed like it was almost clout chasing because everyone knew Caitlin Clark was having. I mean, she set the all all time tournament record. Mm-hmm. You had a great game. You had a double double. Everyone loves you. Are you kidding me? Yep. Everyone was happy for LSU. It was yep. a great team effort. And then yep. after the game, act like everyone was cheering against you. Do I disagree that – okay, someone could say, I thought that that was classless. Well, that's fine. The people that say you are classless, I think that's different. I th- calling someone classless is different than saying they think that was. But it's just turned into a huge mess. I've never yep. seen anything like it. But you can't say that it's the same thing. If LeBron does his finisher and then I walk up to him after a loss or whatever and I'm doing it in his face, that's different. But, I mean, I I still think at the end of the day, this is good for women's basketball. That was – I said before the Final Four, I said I think the women's championship is going to be a better game. It's never been uh, – watch more the whole 9.9 million social media viewers. is talking about it. i think yeah. this is a net positive i think it's a a good thing mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i just think once you get into this territory though where they're coming after you for just saying hey i think it I think it's a little different the way that she did it it was longer it was at the end of the game she kind of did it in her face that's all you're saying you aren't saying anything else other than that that's it but 
then it turns into somehow that opinion is like aligned with Keith Olbermann. No, it's not. No, You're just saying not. objectively what you think, and no. then next not. thing you know, everyone is. Well, yeah. whose side are you on? Literally, it, it's, literally, no one's on the side. We're just saying like objectively yeah. what literally happened. Like that, like what he did, calling her an effing idiot. Like that was OD. Like he did the most. Yeah, especially um, when and, he is. Yeah, I mean, like that. That did too much. Right, that's what I'm saying, right? You see it. I'm not going to say it here because we're live on the thing, but your comment, right? She mouthed the word. You know what I'm saying? So, again, in that situation at the, at the free throw line, when she did this, I had no issue. That's fine, right? My issue, I ca- I'll call issue with it when she went 15, 20 seconds down court and kept continued to do it after they won the game. After I won the championship game, I'm not thinking about the opponent, right? Thinking about all the success and hard work I put in and realizing the moment, right? So, again, I never heard... Kaylin Clark said anything prior to the game about LSU. She said she respected we're going to guard them different. So I don't know where all that stemmed from. That's just my take on it. I think it was OD. She she was excessive with it. And I don't think it's a race thing, right? So if I'm a sellout for that, I guess I am, right? Because that's not it's not a race thing, right? Now, if she did this and went to the audience and said something, or, you know what I'm saying, or she did that with her teammates, cool. But, again, no so teammates. Exactly. That's my whole point. If you like, yeah, exactly. Go celebrate with your teammates. You've already beat them. You've won. Exactly. But yeah. Well, then after the game too, which I don't, I really don't care about like talking trash or whatever. But right. I mean, afterwards, she's on the court with her teammates. She's holding up the L sign to all the Iowa fans or whatever. It's just like yeah. she knows that people are going to disagree with that. They're going to have yeah. that opinion, but. To sit here and just turn it into the firestorm, the absolute eruption on social media, it's just crazy to me. Because someone can simply come in and say, hey, you know what, I kind of disagree. I think it was a little different. And then, nope, you're on side with people that are saying all these horrible things. It's like, no, no, I'm really not. Like, I'm having a unique, objective opinion. But it's... And then, yeah, it also turns into... I think the bigger narrative right now, which I don't necessarily disagree with, it's like, how come when this player does it, no one has a problem with it, but when this one does, they do. Yeah, that's and that's the, the thing racial right thing right now. Yeah. We've heard that all the time about Serena Williams with, hey, how come John McElroy's allowed to slam his racket down and literally scream and berate the, the line judge? And then when Serena doesn't like a call, she's criticized people still love Serena yeah there is going to be some criticize some criticism but then I heard something else this is my problem don't lie uh you'll have people up there today Philip Rivers has a bad attitude and no one has ever criticized criticized him let's think about that statement no one no one has ever criticized him he's like wait prove that there hasn't been one person they're athletes. They're always criticized. Right. This has turned into something where, it, I don't know, I think it is going to add excitement to the women's <laughs> game. I don't it's mind this point, kind, kind of like WWE aspect of the whole thing. I, mean, I like the emotion. Most, yeah. I like passion. I do. But chronicle it in the right way, though. Yeah, I just think it's dishonest to sit there and pretend that it was the same thing. That It's just two different things, man. One's in the national championship game, and the other was no one was doing a ring thing in the other thing, and then yeah, and then I think it was brewing 
just I guess after the the big win over South Carolina, it's a tennis player. Oh yeah, yeah, John McEnroe. Yeah, it's a tennis player. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird uh, reference, but yeah. yeah, I mean this. Oh yeah, and then afterwards, I thought this was weird too. Uh, Jill Biden, uh, first lady, she was. She, she said Iowa. she wanted to invite both sports. Well, what's the intention on that? I feel like it. It would be from a perspective of hey, this was a great Final Four, a great tournament. Um, let's just celebrate women's basketball. I don't think it's because. I don't think it's anything other than that. And then people see that and they're like, see, it's like, what, what are you implying? She's trying to say that you guys aren't the national champions. It's like, I, but I guess there really is some, uh, some beef between these teams. Now I just thought it was exciting. Yeah. A great game. LSU played amazing. They did. Their shot making was incredible in that game. I mean, you can't get much, but they scored 102 points. I think that was the most in the championship. It was great. And I really think, I think the women's final four and championship has become the, the premier women's sports event. And I mean, what was good too overall, what what I hate that got lost in this is that, um, the growth of the sport, (laughs) the growth of the game, right? I mean, obviously now you're going to have more people tuning in, right? Um, 12 million viewers have watched that game. 9.9 million average, right? And it's just great for the sport because now it's expanding. More people want to see it, right? So that's what, that's what gets lost in this. But, I mean, again, incredible. I'm happy for the sport. It's going to continue to get better and better. And I, they already have that rule in place. you got to play three, plus, I think, three or four-plus years before you can even go in the WMA draft. So, I mean, I can't wait to see what the sport looks like next year. Um, it was great. But that's that's our thoughts on it. If uh, we're sellouts for that, I guess we are. Um, but it is what it is. Like I said, we gave objective, objective points to it. We didn't agree with those other comments. I think those were, you know, under under the thing, you know, baseline comments that, you know, was unwarranted, I think. But at the same time, again, her action. And, and then I'll, I'll say this and wrap on this. She said before the season, you know, she said people were calling her too ghetto and, you know, loud and all that. But as I said in my video, you don't do yourself any favors when you conduct yourself in that manner as well, right? I'm not saying I agree with what they said about her. I'm not saying it's right what they said. But I'm saying as a person, and obviously, like you said, you're authentically you, which is fine. Be yourself. But at the same time, you don't do yourselves any favors when you act in that way as well. Yeah. I mean, things, this, this is social media, this is the name of the game, but yeah. I think a perfect example of what I'm trying to say is, like, there is a difference between people that are, like, you're classless with these insults that are being hurled and the people that are just kind of chiming in and saying, hey, I, I disagree, it was a little different, I, I thought she shouldn't have done that or whatever, and then it stops there. There's a difference between the Iowa coach saying that a team is good at rebounding, man, it's going to be a bar fight out there. We're really going to have to toughen up their physical team and then calling the team, like, I don't know, just like what you said. Yeah, offensive terms about their appearances and all that stuff. There is a difference. But once these issues – and. It happens literally every day. This is just the latest thing that everyone's mad about, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, it, it is what it is. But I just think to lump in everyone's opinion. Like, I, I remember when the whole thing happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock, I had one person say, hey, man, he shouldn't have done that. MLK's family was going after Don L. Suggs, telling him, like, hey, stop. Just, yeah, stop, like 
being a sellout and stuff. It's like, that's not what he's doing. He's just saying he, that he, he didn't like seeing it. It's just, I don't know. But yeah, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, she's become that figure now. And it seems to me that she she embraces that. She wants to be confident, talk trash, She, which is fine. She wants to be authentically herself. She's yeah. She's talented. She's, she is. She was given she's the... Great. She hit the no, I mean, the lottery. She's most double doubles ever yeah. in, in, in 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 um not tournament history, but in um in the, in in the season. So yeah. I mean, but it's just when you when you come out and you're aggressive, you kind of want to take on that role. Yep. They're going to be coming after you next season. Um, a lot of other players. Yeah, it's that's, just that's the name of the game. Look, go look at any other sport. And then it seemed one last point. It's like. When she was talking about how she was doing it because she felt like, I guess, Caitlin disrespected another team. Yeah, I don't understand that. And what then, does that have to do with you, though? Why is that personal? That's what I didn't understand. But, okay, obviously, LSU and South Carolina are in the same conference, right? But was that directed to you? That's where I kind of, like, that's where my question mark I, went off. I didn't understand that. That had nothing to do with you. Right, but then her quote after saying that, she said, I want to take on that role of being a black woman that's going to stand up for the girls that may not have a voice. Is she implying that if a black player did this like Caitlin Clark did, she wouldn't have done that to her in the championship game? That right. seems to be what she's implying, right. which that's fine. These rivalries exist. Like, let's just be honest. When when a public school plays a private school, when a, a majority white school plays a majority black school, that exists. It's trash talking. That's sports. Yeah. That has been an interesting dynamic forever. When you're watching the state championships in the 100 meters, 200 meters, the Olympics, that that pride, I get that. But I think to, you got to take that out of context. Just say, hey, wait a minute. Were these two instances really the same? No, they weren't. Exactly. That's all. That's all I would say. I and I don't. I don't see a problem with it. I think it, overall it is. This entire season was good for women's basketball. It was, and going forward. And I think. I think the fans care more about this than the players do. Good point too. Like, I think they're. I think I was upset they lost the game, but all the comments after, hey, LSU deserved to win. They played outstanding. It is what it is. We'll. We had a great year too, and yeah. then the fans are the ones that are going nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, I am gonna have to go on and log on. I want to see some of these debates. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. You, you'll see. But we're gonna leave it there, y'all. <laughs> we're gonna get to our third segment, and then uh, we'll address obviously some comments in there. Jamie, leave us um, leave us a couple questions there you want us to address before the show's over as well. If you're still watching, um, definitely want to address that before we wrap up today. But third segment. Andrew Wiggins is coming back for the Warriors. That was announced this past week. Um, I do have a stat for you, Graham. They have the best defensive rating when it is Steph Curry, Kavon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and the Clay Thompson this season. Um, so I think it's big for them as we enter the stretch of playoffs. Uh, only four games left for the regular season, I think, for most teams. Um, so I think it's big getting Wiggins back. Um, and I think he's going to have a big impact for them. He's like their third best player. Um, you know, when Clay's off, he's a person that can slash and get to the rim, get his own shot, create for others. Um, I think that's going to be big for them going forward. I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but I do think that helps and both well for them going into postseason. Huge boost. Uh, he has missed a bunch of games, yeah. 22. Yep. So coming back, uh, we'll see how – 
immediate is, but yeah, you look at his month of February, he was outstanding, uh, shooting the ball well. As you said, he can step up, knock threes at a high percentage, maybe not Clay Thomas, but that is a really talented um, starting lineup. And I like what you said, the defensive factor. Yeah. It's going to be important. Yeah. It's going to be important. So uh, we're excited for that big game Wednesday, actually, tomorrow. Lakers and Clippers, uh, those teams are both, I think, the same record. I think the Clippers got a game on them, 41 and 38. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, leave us a comment below, Jimmy. Um, not a comment, I'm sorry. Uh, a question <laughs> below um, that you want us to answer before the show's over. Uh, definitely was that a typo? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. But um, real quick, I didn't put this in our, our list, but Craig, any team that you're just excited to see as uh, postseason is about to kick off? Hmm. I'd say... I mean, the entire Western Conference, I think, is going to be exciting. Yeah. Um, in terms of the East, let's just see the 76ers. I think that is the big narrative. Everyone wants to see if they can uh, finally put that run together, see if they're going to potentially have to blow things up. But <laughs> Graham's giving a thumbs down. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but, no, I, I want to see the West. I really do. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. The play-in teams can make a run. Yeah. It's just there's so much more depth there. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Um, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll leave it there. Uh, your Hawks, Jimmy, are, are pretty interesting. Uh, 500 yeah. in almost everything. Um, I don't know. Um, it's tough to say for the Hawks. Uh, DeJounte Murray and, and, and Trey Young obviously are good, but you know, can they pull off an upset? I don't know. I mean, they're going to either play the Bucks first round or they're going to play the Celtics um both of those matchups are tough um I don't know I don't see it Jimmy respectfully uh but we're gonna leave that there um latest on the Braves Braves have a big series coming up this weekend they're gonna play San Diego Padres they're gonna be on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN um they've been having a good um uh, start to the season three and one Ronald Cunha Jr. had a good game in their last one against the Cardinals who they got two more games against before they play the Padres Ozzy Albies actually hit a homer in his last game. I think Acuna Jr. had three RBIs and three hits in the last game as well. But, you know, the the Braves are actually favored, one of the favorites to actually win the World Series. Um, first, it's actually the Yankees, and then it's them. But just what do you think from them? Um, Charlie Moore had a decent game, you know, last time out. But what do you think about them, their pitching, and just, you know, the potential, you know, run they could have? Thought they had a, a great start. The 2-0, they, they lost the game, and it's a great sign that they rebounded with a big win. Um, all on the road so far, 3-1. and one. Early in the season, of course, no team in the NL is undefeated at this point. Nope. But Acuna had a three-run bomb yesterday. There is a lot of excitement, and then they're going to be playing after the Cardinals series wraps up, the home opener against the Padres. That is going to be really exciting the Padres started 0-2 they've won three straight they were up there in that top three favorites so I think it's going to be a really exciting uh, home opener for the Braves coming up here yeah I'm interested to see their pitching in this one against the really good batting of um, the Padres I mean Xavier Bogodarts there Juan Soto hit a homer in his last game Um, Manny Machado so I'm interested to see you know who's going to be their starters in this series um, how good their bullpen is going to be. I think it's going to be important for the Braves. Are they able to um, get this series victory against the Padres? I think that's something to look out for. And how good is their batting going to be? Can Matt Olsen continue to impress? I think he's hit over two home runs already this season. Can continue to uh, impress along with Acuna Jr. and obviously Albies as well. So I think it's going to be a good series. Um, 
really had nothing to do this weekend. I think that's a series to check out. Yeah, I know a lot of people that are going to try to try to go to it. Uh, I was looking at kind of what are the ticket prices going across these season openers, these home openers. I mean, the Braves are up there. I mean, there is just a ton of support, and I think it's a good sign, not only the 3-1 and one start on the road, but really just being able to bounce back. That is the key to not falling in a slump. How do you respond to a loss? You don't want those losing streaks as long as they keep up a strong start, I think they can position themselves better than last year where they had to make that really um, drastic turnaround late in the year. Yep. And before we conclude, Craig, any uh, topics you wanted to hit on? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I am coming back. Let's see. I wrote that. Let's look at the high school coaches real quick because yep. I find this interesting. We saw the – the Sandy Creek position was the latest one. Uh, Coach Darius Smiley. There are still some openings, though. I want to go over this because this is pretty late into this carousel uh, for these to get filled. So let's let's see real quick. All right, you got Clarkston, Crawford County, Loganville. Um, that will be an interesting one. Petula Charter, Providence Christian. Savannah, South Atlanta, they are still looking for a replacement for Coach Woolridge. Uh, Tri-Cities, Woodland Stockbridge, Wheeler County, Twiggs County. So that's there's about 20 openings still. So I expect those to fill uh, this week, if not next week, because the semester is quickly wrapping up. Yeah, it is. I mean, there are, a lot of kids are in spring break right now. They have about a month and probably two weeks left, and then they'll be out of school. So, no, I agree. The South Atlanta opening, who's going to replace Woolridge? Uh, Pebblebrook's obviously a team to watch out for next season to see how quickly he can get them up to snuff, how quickly can they be competitive. I think it's interesting to see as well. Um, but, no, those head coaching um, positions are going to be you know interesting. We've been saying Grayson for the past couple of weeks just to see how uh, Centavious Bryant is going to do. But I think we're going to have not all of our questions answered, but a good bit of them when we have our Crooked Kill 7 on 7 in the summer in June. I think we'll learn a lot about the teams and, you know, how they're looking, especially from the positions uh, groups. I think that's going to be interesting to see as well. Yep, and I was with uh, Grayson's new offensive coordinator this weekend down in Florida, and I asked him, I said, all right, who is the best athlete at Grayson right now? Who's the best athlete you've seen? He said, Tyler Atkinson, nice. no doubt. That guy's different. And we've been saying it, you guys, that – season opener, the final game of the Corky Kill Dave Hunter Classic. Grayson and Walton is going to be unbelievable. Matt, whoever's calling the game, I mean, yo, like, there's not, a, to me, I mean, obviously there's going to be some good games. Like, all of the games are good. But the season opener, the nightcap, the closure for the Corky Kill prior to, I guess, the season started, because it's kind of like week zero when it goes. You can't call a better game than Grayson versus uh, um, Walton. I mean, it doesn't get better. Yep. There's so much going on. New regime, players coming in, uh, really great quarterback. Curious to see what step forward Jeff Davis takes this season. Um, new position players are going to have to step up for Grayson. I think, again, one of the best quarterbacks in the state. I mean, you lump him in. We're, we're probably going to do a top five rankings prior to the season. But Jeremy Hillis, he's right there. Um, I think he's going to continue to play better, as you mentioned, Craig. I think got a little bit of chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy I think, you know, they're going to be right there. So, to me, the season opener, it doesn't get any better than Walton versus Grayson. Yeah, and think about what Tyler Atkinson did out the gates last year as a freshman in the Corky Kill. 
I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, you have stuff. that defense going up against that offense. And then one of the other things Keith was saying, that the OC, he came from Lake Gibson, Florida. They had so many high-talented recruits. Uh, Kamari, who's at Colorado now, one, I think he was number two in the country last year. But he said he was kind of blown away with the overall strength that Coach Carter left uh, Grayson in. He said he's never seen that many guys power cleaning over 285. This is a really strong team. A lot of unproven pieces that haven't really uh, been in the role. They did replace some guys. And so that's another interesting aspect. I mean, it's a huge opportunity for them. And obviously they've been one of the best teams in the state the last decade. So yeah, I just, even down in Florida, people are talking about that matchup. Yeah, I mean, that, that goes to show you how big as it is in Georgia and you know how big it's becoming but real quick uh, I did want to address one of your comments uh, I don't know your name but 23423 we appreciate you tuning in and being active in the comment section wherever you tuning in make sure you continue to do that we love that um, but yeah um, this is not what we really really address but I do watch a lot of Premier League soccer but no I don't think Thomas Tunchell should have ever been sacked I thought he was a good manager I thought he was just in a little bit of a rough patch um, for Chelsea but, you know, I did a video on it. Um, it's kind of went a little viral on my uh, TikTok at Najee Woke. But um, I think Chelsea just did been an embarrassment this season. Um, they've put all this money that they've invested, $400-plus million, and they're currently 11th in the standings, right? Chelsea is a creme de la creme, top-tier uh, kind of a program out there in the Premier League, and they always competing and battling for uh, Champions League titles and things like that. But... The only way to salvage this season is to win a Champions League title, which is tough because their next opponent in the quarterfinal is going to be Real Madrid, right? And Karim Benzema's coming off a hat trick that he had. Um, and he's playing really good football right now. They got Vinicius Jr. They have a really good attacking in um, for them. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, to tell you, that loss against Aston Villa, that 2-0 loss was, you know, really embarrassing at home. We did get rid of Graham Potter. I thought we should have never hired him. Um, you know, good luck to him in the future, obviously, but I don't think he was the fit for us. So right now, I mean, you're kind of in, in flux, right? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who they're going to hire. But it's a team that almost kind of thrown together, right? Um, so they're going to have to find a coach that has a dominant voice, a coach that has experience, um, is able to kind of, you know, get the players to buy into his system, buy into his strategies and what he wants to do. And, you know, if they can do that, they can get back on track. But it's going to take some time. Um, and you can't just hire anybody willy-nilly. You got to make sure you get somebody that can really, you know, resonate with the players. And I think that's going to be important. So we'll see how they finish the season. But that is their only hope to me to salvage the season is to win the Champions League, which certainly will not be easy. Yep. I just want to say one more thing. I saw last night my former UGA weight uh, coach, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dave Van Van Gorder, a towering figure. He was probably like six foot nine. I think he was probably in his upper 60s, but he passed away. He was just a great guy. People criticized some of the outdated methods of, of UGA or whatever, but in terms of a motivator, someone that kind of brought that team culture and just connected with players individually, you can't ask for a better guy. Uh, he came over when Rick first took the job, uh, helped build – Georgia throughout those years you look at what they're doing now I think he was a really important figure and it just goes to show strength coaches they can have a great impact on a lot of people I know a lot of uh, my former teammates were reaching out and they were kind of chiming in uh, just fond memories which you wouldn't think so from the weight room but he was he was a really great guy yeah RIP to him and um, 
we said our condolences to him and the Georgia family. Um, you know, hate to hear that and see that. But, yes, definitely condolences and appreciate Craig, um, you know, sharing his story and sharing his experience uh, with this coach. Yep. And one of the – I never got to have my, my glorious moment at, at Georgia in terms of scoring a touchdown or doing anything. But he did come up to me when I was just beast mode in, it, in the weight room. And he goes, you know what, Craig? You are a college football player. You're actually – and he's like, I mean that you're good enough. You're good enough. And so that meant a lot. Even as a walk-on, he recognized that saying something like that, that's kind of what I needed. Because you don't really get a lot of the attention. You're, my God, I was probably fistering at that, at that <laughs> point. But, no, it just he was, yeah, a really good man. For sure. And uh, we're going to leave it there, y'all. We appreciate that tuning in. And we got to four people to, to listen to us today. So stay tuned. We are live again every Tuesday at noon. So make sure you tap in, tune into that. We'll be sharing it on our social medias. Follow our TikTok, um, Score Atlanta. Follow our YouTube page, Score Atlanta, as well. And follow our Twitter. Uh, it's where all of our content and scoretail.com, all of our content and all the major news and happenings around high school sports and all the sports around across the country will be at. So appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you guys next week for another episode. All right. Peace.